Chapter Four of Julia Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Julia Reed by Pansy. Chapter Four, in which I become Sub Sexton. That morning, before coming to the shop, a most unpleasant thing had occurred. As we moved away from the breakfast table, Mrs. Tyndall observed pleasantly, "It is fortunate for you that Mr. Tyndall is obliged to breakfast at a barbarously early hour." you will never have cause to be a tardy schoolgirl. I turned an embarrassed, and I think a flushed face, toward Dr. Douglas, who came at once to my rescue. Are you laboring under the impression that Miss Reed still ranks among the schoolgirls? he asked, and added in a quiet, matter-of-course way. I supposed I had mentioned the fact that she is bookkeeper for Messrs. Sales and Getman, an equally pressing necessity for early hours, you will observe and therefore Miss Reed has reason to congratulate herself on her boarding-place. Did I see, or did I imagine, the slightest possible shrug of Mrs. Tyndall's shoulders, the slightest possible curl of her pretty lips, ere she spoke her next sentence, in her usual and beautifully modulated tones? I beg your pardon, Miss Reed, for classing you among the juveniles. Dr. Douglas, manlike, told me nothing whatever about you, except that you were a particular friend of his and quite young. I imagined the rest, or took it up as a matter of course. Thus smoothly and gracefully did she receive the news. Not a word, you see, of astonishment or disapproval, spoken or implied. And yet, for the first time, I felt an utter distaste for my new sphere, and had Messrs. Sales and Getman been just then offering me the coveted position, I should have peremptorily declined it. I remember I somewhat abruptly expressed my feelings to the doctor, on our way uptown, and that he gave me very little comfort. Was Mrs. Tyndall annoyed, do you suppose, to learn that I belonged to a shop instead of a schoolroom? I asked him, at which he smiled somewhat curiously, but answered, quietly enough, I think very likely she was. You, of course, expect to meet that class of people occasionally. Had I not believed you to be superior to them, I should have tried to dissuade you from accepting this position. But why should people act like simpletons? What is there dishonorable in an attempt to earn one's living? I said this sharply and impatiently, speaking as I felt, and the doctor laughed. You have asked a question now which it is impossible to answer. I know no more why people should act like simpletons than you do. All I know is that many of them act just that way. But Christian people, doctor, why should they stand aloof from those who have to work for their bread? and at this question he was very grave, and answered me with a gentle sadness. There are some very unchristlike Christians in this world, Julia. Don't you be one of them. Yet in spite of all this, or rather because of some of it, I sat in my high chair and wrote names and figures with a somewhat clouded brow. Life was not what it had looked to be, only last week even. I seemed to have had a glimpse of degrees and grades of society of which I had not dreamed and I seemed to myself to be neither in one grade nor the other, but balancing miserably between. Where did I get my glimpse? What did I know that morning that I had not known the morning before, say? It was impossible to tell. Did Mrs. Tyndall curl her lip, or didn't she? That was all I knew about it. Mr. Sales came in presently and gave me some instructions. The book was in a tangle, and beginning to understand what I must do to write it, I worked away industriously. Between times I watched the girls. There was a leading spirit, Frank they called her. Frank Hooper I found her name to be in course of time. 
I studied her to know what there was about her that made her a leader. Her distinguishing feature was plainness, of attire I mean, not of face. That was, well, if she had not been a shop girl it would have been called beautiful, but her plain linen collar was pinned with a common black-headed pin. All the others wore fancy collars and rather dashing-looking bows, except little Ruth down in the further corner, she had a narrow white frill in her dress. Altogether she seemed to have studied plainness as carefully as most of them had studied their bits of decorations. Even her hair was brushed back from her forehead, straight and smooth, and bound into a fierce knot at the back. I wondered if she knew how this distinguished her from the rest, in their frippery, out-of-place adornments. I did not discover why she led them, or even how, but that she did, in a measure at least, was plain. They appealed to her a dozen times an hour, and when disputes arose, as they did endlessly, about nothings, there was a general cry of, Let's leave it to Hooper. Presently I was summoned to the sales-room, and, pencil and book in hand, took the rapidly given orders and made out bills of sale. It was pleasant enough work, and I began to enter into the spirit of it. As I was returning to the desk to make duplicates of my bills, Mr. Sales recalled me. "'I want to introduce you to my son, Miss Reed,' he said in a friendly tone. "'You will excuse my calling you back. I don't like to introduce you in the other room.' Of course I can't do it with the girls, and some of them are high flyers and can't see the difference. Then he turned and made the introductions. Mr. Sales was a well-dressed, gentlemanly young man, with a handsome face and manners which could easily be made fascinating. "'It's all nonsense, father,' he said good-humouredly. "'I would as lief be introduced to all of them as not. I know them all, anyway.' "'Yes, yes, Jerome, I know. You are one of the free and easy sort.' but all men are not made after your pattern. Some, now, would consider it a downright insult to be introduced to shop-girls, and I want Miss Reed here to understand that whenever I don't introduce her in the shop it's because of them, not her. I did not tarry to talk with my new acquaintance, but returned to my seat and my bills, speculating, meantime, over these new truths. There was a well-recognized distinction, then. I was not a shop-girl, but an introducible person. But wherefore? I occupied the same room. I worked hard all day as they did. Was it because of the pasty aprons and the sticky fingers, and were grades in society formed with paste? It was a bewildering question. I puzzled over it until I found that I had credited the firm of Harder and Coles with seven hundred and fifty-nine shop-girls instead of boxes. Then I took a fresh start and resolutely gave myself to business. Mr. Sales, Jr., sauntered in presently, bowed right and left, and answered the merry greetings showered at him on all sides with equal merriment. He certainly needed no introductions here. Only one of the girls seemed oblivious of his presence. Frank Hooper sent her boxes flying around her wheel with marvelous rapidity, and neither turned her head nor spoke. Even little Ruth nodded and smiled and blushed and turned back to her work, while Frank worked on unceasingly. Mr. Sales had a most uproarious time with two of the wildest girls in the room, teased poor little Ruth into a burning blush all over her face, and stirred up the various elements in the room in a masterly way before he halted for just one moment at Frank's stand. Not a dozen words passed between them, but they were low and dignified. Then Mr. Sales nodded and shouted, "'Good-bye, all,' lifted his hat with a respectful bow to me, and departed. "'Hooper,' one of the girls said, when the clamor of tongues that succeeded the gentleman's departure had somewhat subsided, are you going to the meeting tonight? No, I am going in another direction. 
not to the concert. Yes, to the concert. Then arose a tumult, clapping of hands, cries of, good, good, and, that's jolly in Jerome. Interspersed with mimic groans and sighs over their less happy lot, in the midst of which a voice louder than the others cried, Oh, Hooper, what will Dr. Douglas say to you? Then Frank's eyes flashed, and she answered, with haughty dignity, Dr. Douglas is not my keeper. He thinks he is, anyhow. I just wonder what he will say. I say it's a shame, Hooper, when he considers you caught, to slip away in this fashion. I reported so much of the conversation as pertained to the meeting and the concert to Dr. Douglas. The other part, not understanding as yet, I preferred to be silent about. He listened with a troubled face, gave a start of surprise or annoyance, or both combined, and said abruptly, I am very sorry to hear this. I think that man, you must help me, Julia, to counteract, he is. Oh, well, never mind. Some other time I'll explain. I don't need any explanation, I said to myself, with a wise nod of my head. You don't like that man a bit. I wonder why. Did you meet young Mr. Sales? Mrs. Tyndall asked me at the tea-table. That gentleman is quite a favorite with me. Indeed, he is a general favorite, isn't he, doctor? And the doctor answered with as near an approach to rudeness as I ever saw in him. I do not know. As I made ready to accompany the doctor to the young people's meeting, I wondered if they too, Dr. Douglas and Mrs. Tyndall, ever agreed in anything. Also, when they differed, which was right? The evening was glowing with moonlight, and as we slipped along the pavement, Dr. Douglas remarked cheerily, I think we shall have a large attendance this evening. Such glorious moonlight will woo the young people out. Matters looked most uninviting to me when we reached the building where the meeting was held. It was far away from the church, a room used for a select school during the day, chosen because of its being more central, as well as easier to warm than the large church. Chapel or prayer room they had none. The fire had died down in the ugly-looking stove, and there were various reminders of the children who had peopled the room during the day. The doctor, however, went briskly to work, putting bits of sticks together and coaxing into a blaze the dying embers. Then he lighted the lamps. Gas had not found its way into the schoolroom. One or two of the lamps required trimming, and the doctor's scissors did duty. Then, from some out-of-the-way pocket, he produced a handkerchief, and, with a roguish side-glance at me, proceeded to dusting the lamps, remarking as he did so, This is not the handkerchief that I use when I am in personal need of that article. Gathering energy from his example, I finally set to work, picked bits of paper and apple core from the floor, and added them to the crackling fire. Then I tidied up the schoolmistress's desk, and most sadly was it in need of such attention. I remember I said to the doctor, If I were a schoolteacher, I should put my desk in something like order before I left it at night. And he replied, I have discovered that it isn't possible for me to decide what I will do or say under given circumstances until I have been several times through said circumstances. I don't believe that, I answered promptly. I know exactly what I should do under a great many circumstances. Nevertheless, I pondered over his answer considerably, and have thought of it with a smile and a sigh many a time since then. While we were still at work, there came in a gentleman. His face attracted me at once. I remember I thought I had never seen a more noble one. Yet it bore a pale and weary look, as if the man were overburdened with care or work or both. I thought him a brother physician, since Dr. Douglas called him doctor. 
he came forward to our end of the room and spoke cheerily. Ah, doctor, hard at work, making ready for your flock? I wish I could be with you in these meetings. I believe they would do my soul good. What cheer? A very pleasant meeting last week, and a very hopeful spirit. Tonight I some way feel that the meeting will be a precious one. Can't you remain, doctor? Wish I could, but old Auntie Frisbee has sent for me, and I must try to carry a crumb of comfort to her, and look in on Father Durfee on my way back. Gather all the sunshine you can from the meeting, and bottle it up for me. At this point Dr. Douglas turned toward me as he said, Why, I beg pardon, Julia. Let me introduce you to Miss Reed, Dr. Mulford. She is a member of our household at Mrs. Tyndall's. Ah, said Mr. Mulford quickly, as he held out his hand for cordial greeting. A member, also, of the household of faith, I trust? I do not think I answered him. I was struck dumb with astonishment. I had a mental picture of Dr. Mulford, so utterly unlike this living one. Mine I had manufactured out of the fragments which Mrs. Tyndall had given me. How was it possible, I wondered, for that pale, pure face ever to look comical in the pulpit? He is a glorious man, Dr. Douglas said enthusiastically, as the door closed after his pastor. A hard worker, an earnest preacher, and a faithful pastor. I wish there were more men like him in this world. Well, now we are ready for our people. But first, you may distribute the books, if you will. He unlocked a small desk in one corner, and produced therefrom a quantity of tiny books, neatly bound, which I distributed according to his directions, placing one on each desk. Then he announced himself as entirely ready, and in exact time. "'Are you the sexton always?' I asked, as I took the seat indicated to me. "'Or is this evening an exception?' This evening is the rule, and there is an occasional exception. However, I do not mind it in the least. Let us sing the hymn on the twenty-fourth page, Julia. End of chapter 4 Recording by Tricia G.